When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi there and welcome to Scout the Game Week. Scout the Game Week is a fantasy football scout weekly podcast brought to you by the Scout Network. In each episode, we'll look back at the game week we've just played and assess what we can learn to help us in the next round of fixtures. I'm Sam from the FPL family. Let's scout the game week. This week, I'm joined by two of the FPL Experiment podcast, Adam and Greg. Thanks so much for joining me, guys. How was game week one for you? It was it was all right. I, I mean, it's weird to say it was all right when you score 90 points. And Adam, you tweeted earlier, didn't you, saying you scored 90 points that you're still not even in the top million. It's, that's a strange <laughs> feeling. A really so strange. weird. Like, really, really weird. Like, I've had this conversation with quite a few people that, you know, to score that highly and to not be that pleased is a really bizarre feeling. But do you know what? It could have been a lot worse if we if we'd listened to Greg and not not gone with Fernandez. So oh. quite happy. It took him all the two minutes to say that. So well done, Nance. <laughs> Straight <laughs> oh, in Oh, come on. Come on. Well, what I would say, look, we, we could be disappointed, but the average score was still 69. So anything 90 and above, you've had a really great week. And irrespective of where we are currently, that's take a step back. Actually, you're, you're happy with what we've done. Do you know what? I would never, ever think to play either bench boost or triple captain in the first game week. And I know lots of people would say, oh, that's casual behaviour. Those people who play triple captain first game week, what a reward. Like Fernandez triple captain, you must have been smiling so much. It's funny because I actually did say a couple of times on a few things over the summer that I thought triple captain in Salah in game week one was definitely on with the fixture that the way it was. And Salah's record in opening day fixtures is unbelievable. He's now the player with the most goals scored on opening day in Premier League history because he's got five, five games that he has scored in on opening day. So... It's unbelievable, the record from him. And I was tempted, but there is that element of FPL kind of that gets in your, under your skin that says you've got to hold it. You've got to hold your triple captain because there'll be a double game week or there'll be a really perfect fixture later on. You never really know what's going to happen on opening day. But there was definitely some value in it. And, and when we were at Fantasy Football Fest on Friday night, there was a lot of people saying to me, I'm bench boosting. And I was like, why? And they said, because I'm planning an early wild card. I've spread the wealth across my team. My bench looks really good. I don't know if there's going to be another point in the season where my bench will look as good as this because I might want to go to a non-playing goalkeeper or I might want to burn a slot to budget for an extra premium from game week two. And I thought, actually, there's some logic in that. And and actually, it would have paid off because a lot of the lower price players actually did really well in game week one. Yeah, it's something I'd never, ever thought about. But what a brilliant return for the Premier League. Loved it this weekend. Like, absolutely loved it. The Everything about it was so good. The variety in the games, I thought, was incredible. Like, some games with loads of goals, 
a West Ham Newcastle game, for example, just absolutely insane. Like mm. just pure entertainment. And then you had the the difference in the Spurs game that came afterwards, which was all about that kind of thoughtful approach and a lot more tactical. And I'm sure, Sam, you would have noticed it because I know that you went to um, the Norwich-Liverpool game. Just like the atmosphere in the stadium was just, like in all of the stadiums, just mm. absolutely incredible. It, it made such a difference, I think, to the players. 100%. I mean, I know that over the course of the last year or so, we've kind of got used to the fact that there haven't been fans in stands. And at the beginning, you really noticed it with the kind of fake crowd noises on Sky and, and that sort of thing. But actually... I, being in a stand on Saturday afternoon at Norwich, we sat with the home fans. It was just an unbelievable noise that these people were making. And you could hear it in the TV games as well, because sometimes you hear the crowd, they lose a little bit of energy. I didn't hear that across any of the games I watched over the weekend. The crowd were fully on it. There's so many home wins in game week one. As a result, I think, of the way the fans reacted to the players being back out there on the field in front of them, it spurred the players on, that spurred the crowd on. It was just the best opening weekend of Premier League football I can remember. Do you know, you said obviously you think it affected the players. I also think it affected the referees and how they actually refereed the game compared to last season as mm. well. They just seemed to flow so much better and a lot more seemed to have been allowed as well. And I don't know if how much that's between the new interpretation of how the VAR is going to be playing out for the rest of the season. But as you said, Adam, it added such a more enjoyable watching experience as a fan. There's a new directive that they're going to allow games to flow a bit more. They were talking about that a lot in the in the games across the weekend. So that's definitely a benefit. I don't know if it was Martin Tyler or Gary Neville that said it yesterday. They said that it feels like we've got football back, like the fans have got their game back because games are flowing. Yeah. And VAR decisions, they're, they're not quite, um, well, there, there just weren't as many at the weekend. And mm. it, it felt like the focus was actually on the game rather than all the stuff that goes on around it. And that was really cool as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know so do you know what I love this weekend? So just the standard of some of the goals that were scored this weekend. It's like Ailing, Bruno, McGinn, Salah, Alonso, Decore, even Vardy's goal. Absolutely brilliant. I loved mm. it. I, th- I just think it was one of those weekends, wasn't it, where everything kind of came together. The fans were back. The new changes in the VAR and the refing decision-making process. You even heard it from Sterling in the aftermath of that game yesterday. He said the ref was great. He let the game flow. We saw the VAR decisions that were on the mark that last year, Bruno Fernandes' goal, that had been ruled out last year. But it stood as a goal and it should have stood as a goal because it was so close. And I'm, for one, I'm really pleased to see that happening. I think it's making for better football. We saw that in the opening game week that we just had. So fingers crossed... We see a continuation of that into game week two, where, of course, the fans that haven't had their clubs back in front of them yet will get that happening in reverse this time. So I'm interested to see whether the teams that had a difficult game in game week one, because they went away from home, were faced with this kind of cauldron of noise. Suddenly, the reverse happens to them, maybe going into game week two. But let's start by looking back at the game week we've just played. Obviously, there was a lot of chatter across the community. Do we go Bruno? Do we go without Bruno? Clearly, on the back of what happened on Saturday lunchtime, the answer was, we go Bruno. But let's talk about Manchester United for a minute. What did you make of that Manchester United performance? Do you want me to take this, Greg? Because as a Leeds fan, (laughs) you don't want to talk about it because I'd love to watch you talk about this game. Do you know what? I can talk about it objectively now as well. My, My anger has dissipated somewhat. So 
you take the lead. Let me let me think about how I'm actually going to politely discuss this, and then I'll jump. Right. In. Okay. okay. So <laughs> for me, Sam, I thought United were brilliant. Like they were so good in preseason. They carried that form into to this game. As you've already said, that the home the home aspect is making a huge difference, and they came alive. They rose to the occasion at Old Trafford, and that you know that that's bound to be the case. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got his tactics spot on like they really exploited leads I mean there were positions in that team Greg and I've kind of already had a conversation about Leeds midfield which isn't the same without Calvin Phillips right so United were playing a weaker Leeds team without Philip Phillips in the middle and Robin Cock doesn't look like he belongs in that defensive midfield role I think that needs to be kind of thought about for United going forward but they were rampant like down the flanks is where leads were exploited. And that goal from Ailing kind of covered up from him what was actually a bad performance. But United were so quick in wide areas. Pogba, Greenwood, Shaw, Dan James as well. And they were just getting in behind the fullbacks every single time. And, and it, they were so, so good. I think at the minute it's, it's hard not to think about having three United players in your FPL team, mm. especially given the fact that they're playing Southampton at the weekend. But yeah, I was so, so impressed. And I'm I'm really impressed with the Premier League at the minute because it looks like we've got four genuine contenders for the title. And it's very rare that you say that. And I know it could change very quickly over kind of 10 game weeks, but I think that's what makes this season really, really exciting because it looks as though we've got genuine competition. I think what hurt me most of the weekend was that you said Oli got his tactics spot on. I think Bielsa and as much as I love him and he's my absolute hero, got his so wrong. When we play Rodrigo as that sort of number 10 behind Bamford, our whole pressing game is so off. And then you put Dallas in there as well, which it was phenomenal last year, but we're not as good at, at pressing. And that was evident when Pogba just had so much time and space. And what United did so well was... But Fernandez, McTominay, so great at just running off the ball, which then took our guys to who were, I mean, we played such a high line at the weekend, which again was a little bit unlike Leeds. So that sucked us in and allowed, as you said, the wingers just to run behind us. And when you've got Pogba doing what he does so well, which is those sort of deep through balls, we were just lambs to the slaughter and we're a bit naive again, which I think, sadly, I thought we got away from that last year. And we did miss, you mentioned KP, but Leeds missed Llorente a lot. So it'd be interesting to see if Man United can do that against Southampton, who I think are equally as poor. Mm. So it's quite, as you said, really exciting, mate. It is. And I think, you know, I was going to ask you about Bruno at this point, but you've both mentioned Pogba. So let's talk about him first, because I think for me, he was one that I hadn't really looked at at all during preseason. He wasn't a player that I'd even really necessarily considered. Yet he comes out on the opening day, obviously in front of the fans at Old Trafford and behaves like he's been putting four assists in every game for the last 10 years. You know, he was unbelievable. Is he an FPL trap though? Is he somebody that we should actually be investing in or should we be a bit more cautious? I think with Pogba, like people always get frustrated about how he, the, the great highs of him, but then there's also like three weeks of lows. But I think if towards the back end of last season from game week 30, he chipped in with four assists and his actual creation rate from game week 30 and beyond was more than double what he was doing pre that. So he carried that form onto the Euros as well. Mm. He was scoring. So what was he going to do that game week one? Which Pogba were we going to see? And Leeds let him be his best version of himself, as it were. But I think he's definitely on a watch list 
And I think you need to see Pogba do that over a two, three game period at that level consistently for them to say, right, I'm happy to go in as opposed to having Greenwood in my team. Yeah, you said this, didn't you, Sam, on the UFPL family mm. about his consistency. And I completely agree. I think we're kind of in very similar places when you when you were saying what you were saying, it's kind of essentially taking the words out of my mouth, really. But talking about consistency, and he he just doesn't consistently do that enough. The problem, I think, with Pogba seems to be keeping him interested. Yeah. And that's why I can see at the minute he's really attractively priced at 7.6 now because he's, he's had a rise and they've got good fixtures. And I understand a lot of people play the game. They're trying to catch those price rises early. So maybe you're bringing him in for that reason. So maybe that's a good tactic. But I'm far more interested in other players at that price point because I know I'm more likely to get consistency. So Greenwood interests me more. Jota interests me more. I think mm. even Ben Rama's part of that conversation now as well. Yeah. And I think the Greenwood conversation is really interesting because actually he didn't get a lot of, he didn't get a lot of the limelight in that game because it was, it was taken by both Bruno and Pogba. But I thought Greenwood was excellent on Saturday lunchtime, really good and didn't necessarily get the level of FPL points that he should have got or that he deserved to get from that game. And that makes me more inclined to go with him because I feel like we may have seen the best performance Pogba does all season on Saturday I'm not quite sure that anything will live up to the atmosphere in Old Trafford in that opening game back for the fans but Greenwood is one of those players he just keeps going and I, and I think he'll be really good over the course of a prolonged period of time I think it's always interesting to listen to what managers say post-match about the players as well mm. and Ollie was coming out and saying look he's bulked up so much over the summer that rest has been great for him and how he took his goal, brushing off Ailing, the, the pace, look, we know he's a phenomenal finisher and, and what a great finish. Like the angle, you couldn't have put it any more in the corner. But I think the fact that Ollie's talking about his newfound strength, I think that plays into the fact that he doesn't just have to be on the left or right of the, the whoever the focal point at top is, which yeah. potentially could be Cavani for quite a lot of the season. So it gives another option and a valid option from an FBL perspective and I think you go with a Man United defender still. That ailing goal, I'm sorry to, to say it, Greg, but it was the only opportunity during that game where I really thought that Leeds... Rafinha should have scored. Well, yeah, but Rafinha was really off it that day, wasn't it? He oh. just didn't really get going in the way that we would expect and hope that Rafinha would. Ailing's underlying stats last year were good, but we never really saw him likely to do something like that last season. It was more about Dallas and... That one strike that he had was unbelievable. There's no taking that away from him. But Luke Shaw, the Manchester United defence, they were unlucky not to get a clean sheet out of that game. So I don't think you panic. Looking at Southampton, the way that they performed against Everton, okay, they scored, but they weren't, they won't, they're still missing some of their key players, aren't they? They've lost Danny Ings. They've replaced him with Armstrong, but Armstrong's not Danny Ings. They're going to lose Vestergaard. There's just so many issues that they've got to solve. They didn't play Carl Walker-Peters either, which I found fascinating at the weekend. So lots of changes at Southampton. I suspect that going into that week, the, the Manchester United defence will be popular picks if you don't already own them. Let's go from Manchester United and the premium assets there to Liverpool, because that was another big conversation, wasn't it, in pre-season? Do we go Salah? Do we go Mane? Do we go Yotta? How do we double up? How do we triple up? I think it was most of the conversation. It wasn't necessarily, are we getting them? It was how many? I made the decision to go Salah and then the two defenders once Robertson got injured. I kind of thought that having Simakas as a 4.0 million 
Liverpool defender was a gift that I, I couldn't pass up. He's and actually having sat in the stands and watched him, he had a fantastic performance. He did get very tired. About 70 minutes, he looked like he needed to go and have a little lie down. But James Milner stood up and protected him really well. And he got through to the end of the game with the clean sheet intact. But not only that, he was in all the right areas going forward as well. Had a couple of shots on goal, took some excellent corners. There's definitely potential upside for him. Double defence? Or did you have to do enough that you would think it's the double midfield, really? Simicass is a gift, Mm. you know, for FPL. I love Jota as well. I think he's great. But I think the thing is with Jota and Greenwood, they're kind of in the same boat. Brilliant players. Great fantasy assets if they're on the pitch, but both a serious risk of rotation. And the risk that you get with both Jota and Greenwood is even if they're on the bench, you know that they're coming on for 20 minutes at the end of the game. Now, what they have shown is a bit like with Leroy Zane when he was at City and he used to come off of the bench. They can come onto the field and they can score goals. So I think as long as United with Greenwood or Liverpool with Jota, as long as they can continue to be high-scoring teams, as long as they're providing that, which at the moment, looking at some of their fixtures, you're thinking, well, they could score three-plus goals. As long as you've got that, for me, Jota is a is a brilliant route into that midfield. It does look as though there are viable alternatives, though. So, you know, I'd, I'd be quite happy, like I mentioned, Ben Rama to have Simicass at the back and to have Ben Rama in midfield. Mm. And I, I'd probably be quite happy that, that that would cover you, based, of course, only on, on one game that we've seen this season. So we don't exactly have a lot of data or a lot to, to kind of drill into. But Jota is a player that I like a lot. He always looks brilliant when he's on the pitch um, and, and seems to combine really well with Salah, Mane, Firmino, whoever's around him. So, yeah, good asset. In my personal team, I've got Jota. Don't know if that was a mistake because Simicast is so good at four mil. I don't think it's a mistake to have Yotta. I think I think he made he looked great on the pitch. He was in all the right places. He got a goal. He he had a great performance. My concern with him is that he got subbed bang on 60 minutes for Firmino, who came on and had a fantastic last 30 minutes, half an hour. Played really well, moves the ball around like no other player I've ever seen play. He's one of those players that I never think gets enough credit for what he does in the Liverpool team. Yota gets credit because he gets out there, he scores goals and he's in your face. Firmino quietly goes about his work in that team. He makes space. He makes the other players look really good and then chips in with some goals and some assists every now and then. But he's building. He's the builder. He creates a lot of the stuff, but he doesn't necessarily always get the FPL points. So for me, my concern has always been, will he play all four of them? Is there space in that Liverpool side for Salah, for Mane, for Firmino and Jota all at the same time? Because you do also have then the attacking wing backs in Simakas at the moment and Trent. Who's actually doing the defending in those teams? Now, in these opening fixtures, I don't think it's an issue because the fixtures are lovely for Liverpool. There's less risk of defensive woes, if you like. But as the season goes on, I'm not sure we'll see the four of them all together. So there will be some risk of rotation. But for now, I just think I can go to Yota fairly easily at some point later on in the season when I don't need Simakas anymore. Because I think around international break, we should be starting to see Robertson back. And of course, that will kill him as an FPL asset, really, because you're not going to play Simakas over Robertson. I very much doubt and so I think there's potential for Yotta a little bit later on. But what about Mane? How, because some people were kind of talking about doing the Salah Mane double up. Did either of you see anything from Mane that would make you think 
it's worth investing in him. Not massively. I think he's just priced a little bit too closely yeah. to Salah. I think there's a lot better assets outside of money at that price point that are going to return you probably a lot more bang for your buck. Yeah, I think so too. I think, you know, when you're talking about premiums, obviously we'll, we'll come to Sun in a minute, but we've had three major premiums start the season with double digit hauls. And it's very difficult to then find space for another one. I think, you know, when you're budgeting across your team, you know, you've already mentioned Ben Rama, Adam, there's some such great low price players that you can have three premium assets in your team, but getting to four is really hard. And I don't think you're putting Mane in a head of Bruno, of Salah, or of Son at the moment, nice. which does lead us nicely to talk about Spurs for a minute then, um, because as the other premium player, and, and we'll talk about Vardy maybe in a little bit, because he's obviously counts as a premium too, both of them scoring goals. Son was a player that was kind of overlooked at the beginning of the season. I think all of the chatter over the summer about Kane and about what was happening at Spurs meant that a lot of people were a little bit put off. My Spurs bias did come into play a little bit here, but also it was a a strategy of mine that was kind of like, I I like to have somebody that I'm prepared to sacrifice. And I never thought I'd be prepared to sacrifice Bruno or Salah because what they do over the course of seasons, it didn't feel like I was ever going to be prepared to drop them from my team. So Sun was a player that was there because if he didn't perform over these first few weeks, I could easily downgrade him to somebody else in the six million-ish bracket and then upgrade elsewhere with the money that I was going to save. That strategy's kind of gone out the window a bit now because he plays in this opening fixture where Spurs, and I'll get your opinion on Spurs because I obviously have a little bit of a bias here, but Spurs were so much better than I thought they were going to be in the opening game week of the season, particularly against Manchester City. And Sun led the line really well. So going into the next three or four fixtures where they're they're nice, you know, trip to Wolves, Watford, Crystal Palace next for Spurs. Is Sun in your team? And if he's not, are you thinking about it? Uh, Do you want to give a bit more of a biased opinion as well, being a Spurs fan? (laughs) Are you wanting some more Spurs input? I'm looking at ways that we can cram Son into our team. And that is tough. If you've got Salah, Fernandez, and Trent, then I'm not quite sure how you make that work. Looking at the balance of our team, there has to be a sacrifice. I'll send you my team, Adam. Look, I'm just, I'm not actually that concerned about getting Son in for the Wolves game mm-hmm. because I think Wolves played really quite well against Leicester. And I think Spurs and Leicester are very similar teams in terms of ability and capability. They're in kind of similar places at the moment. Arguably, Leicester are a slightly better team. But for those two games after that, um, I think Spurs have uh, Palace and uh, it's Watford as well, I think, on the horizon. I think I've got that right. Um, For those two games there, I'm thinking I want Son in that lineup. They looked really good. He was the focal point of the attack in terms of they wanted Son to be the player that was shooting on goal. Mora carried the ball. Son was shooting and you know he's so he's so good at that you know he's so accurate and he seemed to be responding to that extra responsibility which was what I liked he seems to revel in being the kind of the star at Spurs and he is so well received in South Korea and I think he knows that he's got those extra media responsibilities that comes that come afterwards. I mean, we've seen him cry after certain performances before, and he, you just don't get that with a number of players. He, he's, he's very different and his mindset is different. 
and I think at the minute he's just playing really well and you want those kind of players in. So I'm not that concerned about him for the next game. If I had him, I'd be delighted, but we don't have him at the moment. Um, but yeah, definitely would love to get a bit of Son into the team for the week after. Might might need a hit to get him, but hey. Spurs are Man City's bogey team and they always seem to grind out a random result against them. when Because we're brilliant, Greg. Because we're brilliant. That they should never get that result. So I'm going to temper the assignment a little bit, but Son did have a great um, pre-season. He's carried that form onto that first game. How does Kane coming back, if he stays, affect that? I, I don't necessarily know. I don't think it affects it too much. I, I think Son's fantastic myself I, I i do think we need to if he continues this week and potentially next week we've got to look at a way of getting him in because that i don't think that form's going away it's difficult i think with son isn't it because he's priced at 10 million so he's in that difficult price bracket this year that he wasn't really in last year it was easier to get to son last year than he is to get this year and then i keep looking around the spurs team and thinking is it doable to go mora instead is it doable to go delhi instead is it doable to go bergvine instead but my issue with each of those three is that currently Kane is still a Spurs player. Mm-hmm. If he comes back and plays for Spurs again, one of them is the casualty that enables him to play. Because let's be frank, if, if Kane stays at Spurs, he goes straight back into the team because he's Harry Kane. And he'll play alongside Son. And I don't think it affects Son as a, an asset whatsoever. I don't think it will make him any better. I don't think it will make him any worse. I think it just changes the what he does slightly in terms of his position on the field but it will fundamentally change probably Bergvine it's probably Bergvine that misses out for Kane Mora probably still starts as does Delhi probably but it's difficult to call that and that concerns me because I think you can try and invest in the cheaper Spurs assets but it's difficult to see them getting as many returns whereas at Manchester United you can invest in Greenwood and I can see returns coming at Liverpool, you can invest in Yota, and I can see returns coming. It's harder to do that at Spurs, I think. Yeah, I'd written down, Sam, almost exactly what you said coming into this. Mora, if Kane comes back, not interesting to me mm. because he's a brilliant player, criminally underrated by a number of Spurs managers and supporters as well, but doesn't provide FPL points consistently enough. And in that price bracket, better options are available Son's the one you want. And if it was funny yesterday, I thought, because Son was making runs and he had a quick glance up and he wanted Harry Kane to be there because he's just almost trained and programmed. And he looked up and he didn't have the confidence to play the pass to the far post where he was looking for Harry Kane to have made that run because it was Bergfine that was there or because it was Mora. And so he didn't play the pass. He checked his run a couple of times and the commentators were getting a bit surprised by the situation. So if Kane comes back, he comes back in. And if anything, I think he makes Son a bit more attractive as a, as a proposition. Mm. That's what you want. You want your, the, your FBL assets to be the focus of all your team's attacks. You don't yeah. really want it spread out as much, but you want everything to go through them. You want them shooting all the time, taking the penalties. You want those FBL points. Just a quick talk about Manchester City then before we move on, because I thought they had a pretty poor game. They have had a disrupted summer in that so many of their players have been away on on international duty. So they've not been together as a unit. They've obviously brought in some new players. There's been some exits as well. I just didn't think it really got going for them this week. It was a slow start. But KDB made a return during that game earlier than I think any of us were really anticipating. And this is something that threw me when Lee and I were driving to Norwich on Saturday to watch the Liverpool game, we were chatting because at the time Bruno was playing and I was like, goodness, how do you budget for Bruno? If Salah bangs tonight, if Sam bangs tomorrow, 
At some point, we've got Lukaku just been added to the game. He's going to be available for game week two. At some point, we've got KDB coming back. And I was thinking that might be a few weeks down the line. How do you budget for these? And of course, there's Kane at some point who's going to come either into the City team or the Spurs team. KDB surprises us all by making an appearance on Sunday. They're going to play Norwich next. When he came on, they were so much better. They had a lot more in the way of attacking, flowing football. Um, if it wasn't for a really good tackle by Davidson Sanchez, they probably would have got a draw out of that game. What do we do about players like KDB now? Do we do we just hope that Grealish is okay to cover KDB? Or do we have to kind of find ways for these players to fit? I think with Gondwang being injured, it helps make a decision in terms of the Man City options. I think Mares is still a very good option. If you've got him, I don't think you get rid. I don't think you'd, you'd look to try and get him in because there is still a little bit of an uncertainty there. But I think you hit the nail on the head. When KDB came on, their, the pace of their attacks, the fluidity of it, it just increased exponentially. And I think there's a lot of nice football, a lot of stuff going on that never materialised in, into anything good. So I think KDB makes all the others around him better options as well. Yeah, he's so infectious, KDB. The energy that he provides in any team is just incredible. Just like his presence on the pitch. I, I, I don't know how some people have that energy. It's it's amazing to see what he could do. You mentioned Grealish there, Sam. Mm. I'm not that interested in Grealish at the moment because he played out on the left. And yeah, he played quite well. He held the ball up really nicely, protects the ball. I mean, for somebody of his size, it's so amazing that people just can't get the ball off of him. And I think it's such an incredible skill. But if he's going to play out on that left-hand side, and he had that kind of spell at Villa as well, where he was more of the creator rather than the goal scorer. So from an FPL perspective at this stage, I'm not that interested in Grealish. That might change. It might develop. They might might move him a bit further forward, for example, because he was dropping very deep on that left-hand side. It's, It's a weird one because you're looking at that Norwich game thinking, I'd love some City in my team. And I can't tell you which player to pick you'd think you'd have a you know Torres for example leading the line still feels like quite a punt yeah I think it's really difficult with City and and that's why I asked the question really about KDB because in my opinion the only player that's ever really nailed at City is the is the spine so you've got Edison of course who's guaranteed to start you've got Diaz who if he's fit and available is probably going to start and you've got KDB who if he's there will play Otherwise, everyone feels like a rotation risk. There's other players for every position on the pitch, but they're not just like other players. They are quality, quality players for every position on the pitch. I think they said there was £350 million worth of player on the bench against Spurs on Sunday. Mental. It's absolutely insane. So for us as FPL managers, it's impossible, isn't it? Because you are trying to invest in a team that you know are going to be quality, you know are going to score goals and have a really nice fixture in game week two against Norwich at home as well against Norwich. But you can't guarantee who's going to start. They're going to share the points because they always do. There's never one player that goes mad that's always shared out amongst the City team. And last time it was 5-0, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, KDB was, what, two goals and assist that game as well. Mares was amongst the points. They they tore him apart after the 3-2 loss that shocked everyone uh, at the start of the season. So it's re- there's some really nice fixtures with premiums that are on fire at the moment as well this weekend but that makes it fun I mean it's good. <laughs> it does you, you can't squeeze all, all these players into the same team it'd be boring and actually when I looked at KDB's ownership earlier today he's owned by like two percent of the game because of course he's been injured so it's probably the only time where you're going to get a Manchester City side going into a really nice fixture against Norwich where because 
Salah and Bruno have banged the week before, people won't sell them. If anything, they're going to try and buy them because of what they've just done, which means that the Manchester City boys will go a bit under the FPR radar. So if you've got them, they act as differentials this time around rather than killing you if you don't own them, which is what normally happens with Manchester City. Now, before we move on to talk about game week two, I just want to talk quickly about the Aston Villa defence because this was a game that massively surprised me. I thought Watford would be good coming up, but I didn't expect them to be good going forward. I expected them to be solid defensively, which actually for the majority of that game, they were. But the Aston Villa defence looked like they forgot how to defend over the course of the summer. They were fantastic last season. Does John Terry leaving have that much of an impact on them or did they just have an off day? It may have had an impact, but actually Dennis got really lucky. Sars goal deflective, that Hernandez goal was an absolute beauty. But I mean, you're not going to have one of those coming at you every week. I think that result flattered Watford a bit. They had the home fans behind them. Look into the stats as well on that and the Villa defence. They're actually not that bad in comparison to, to, you know, so many other teams out there this weekend. So I don't think there's that much of a cause for concern. I saw that Martinez going into the weekend was the highest owned goalkeeper. And that's not surprising because he was so good last season. Like he's really good for us. And the save points were fantastic. But the one thing I would say is looking at their fixtures, Newcastle, Brentford, Chelsea, Everton, Newcastle going forwards looked really good. I mean, they weren't very good at the back, but I heard you talking about um, Sam Maximam. I love him. Family. Yeah. And it, he was fabulous to watch. That cross that he provided for Wilson was brilliant, but that just gen- generally the way that he played, I know they were playing at home and he he loves a bit of home support and he's well loved by the Geordies, understandably. But, you know, I'm looking at that Newcastle game thinking, well, I, I could see Newcastle scoring. Brentford started really well. They've, they've got lots of a- attacking options that mm. I really, really like. Um, maybe players that will end up talking about later, but, um, you know, Bomo, Canos, they've got Tony, great. Um Chelsea and Everton both looked really good going forward. So if if I have Martinez in goal or a Villa defender, Villa defender, I'd be thinking, well, I'm probably looking to bench. Based on, you know, the stats weren't that bad, but they did still concede three goals to Watford. And I've watched a lot of Dennis last year in the Bundesliga, and I can tell you that he definitely isn't all that. No, I mean, I don't think he scored a league goal for a couple of years, they were saying um, on the radio. So for him to get scoring his debut for Watford, I was, yeah, I was really surprised by this game. Yeah, I think everyone needs to remember as well. Like, yes, they had 15 clean sheets last season. It was, it was, and Martinez was fantastic. But towards the back end of the season, I think they only had one clean sheet in the last 12 games. Mm. They weren't as solid as sort of what we're led to believe. And they're not by any stretch of imagination the worst defence in the league. And as Adam has rightly said, but I think you can see them conceding uh, one or two of the goals over the next sort of three, four, five game weeks. So it does diminish their value somewhat as an FBL asset. And uh, Martinez, that first goal they conceded where Dennis got lucky, that's the sort of shot, though, I'd have expected him to save last season. Kind of went through him and Mm. stuff like that didn't happen last season. You can't legislate for the deflection and um, Hernandez's ridiculous strike, but not someone that I would heavily invest in or even be looking to transfer in. Yeah, I must admit, I do agree with you both. I think I was, don't have any Villa players. I went without Danny Ings as well. But, you know, I watched I watched Aston Villa because I was really genuinely scared 
about not owning a Villa player. I didn't have Buendia. I didn't have Ings. I didn't have a defender. I didn't have Martinez. And I thought, I'm just really concerned about this. I, I wasn't, I wasn't confident at all. And I pretty much got away with it until that Danny Ings penalty, literally at the death from nothing. Oh, which... 97th minute, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. what a kicker that yeah. was. And, you know, I was so annoyed because at this point we were sat in Carrow Road and it went, it came up on my phone. It was a Aston Villa penalty. And I was like, oh, you are joking. That's going to be Danny Ings. And I said to Lee, I was like, this is just the most infuriating thing in the world because... He's not done anything the whole match that we've listened to as we've driven down here. Hasn't really looked like having any FPL points. But that's why you buy Danny Ings, isn't yep. it? At the end of exactly. the day, you buy him because he's got that extra route to goal. So as annoyed as I was by it, I also wasn't surprised by it. And it's something I knew could easily happen. So I think if you own players that take penalties, I mean, that's why we try and get as many of them in as possible, isn't it? It's why we have Salah, it's why we have Bruno, it's why we like to own Kane. Is why Danny Ings is as popular as he is. Of course, I don't know whether Antonio is going to be on penalties having missed the one that West Ham got at the weekend, but you can't moan about Danny Ings. He, he, he is a great player. But let's turn our attentions then to game week two because most experienced FPL managers will be trying to go into this without making a transfer. People like to kind of set teams up for game week one and two, roll it, give them an extra transfer into game week three. But as we've seen already, we've already had price rises for three players in the game. Of course, Bruno Fernandes taking a price rise almost immediately. As soon as I think he kicked the third goal in, I think players were starting to panic and bring him in before they'd even watch the rest of the game week. But if you were going to make a transfer ahead of this game week, who would be the players that you were going to target? Let's forget about the premiums for a minute because they're going to be difficult. Of course, the rest of the players that did well or impressed you in game week one, who would you be targeting? It's tough. It, it really is tough because I think you're right. I, I think a lot of maybe experienced managers will be holding that transfer and that they've set the team up accordingly for these first two game weeks. But I suppose for me, if you're if you're going to look outside that sort of the premium level, who who who's going to be that shiny toy this weekend? Mares. I know he's going to be a bit like Marmite for people this weekend, but for me, I still think eight percent ownership at home to Norwich fans behind the the, the team. I think they're going to want to rectify what happened this game week one. Gundogan being injured only adds to the fact that I think he's more likely to start than less likely. Actually, a lot of the uh, attacks that Norwich conceded at the weekend were down their left side. It was actually twice as many as their right, which again plays into Mares's hands. He got an attack in return against him in that 5-0 demolition a couple of seasons ago. So for me, outside of all the others, I would go with Mares as, as the option this week. Yeah, I definitely think you want to target that City-Norwich game. I can't confidently say, as I said earlier, who I think is going to get the points. But we've got Mares, so I'm crossing my fingers that he uh, he's in the lineup. I mean, he was crying out for the ball, bless him, on the right-hand side a number of times. And they'd obviously decided to uh, City create that overload down the left. And that was a mistake because Spurs had Tanganga. And as he showed, he's an absolute weapon, which was good. But... Um, yeah, I'm looking at the other games. I like United against Southampton, so I think there's potential for the double up there. So Greenwood as well as Fernandez might be a way that I would go. I really like Danny Ings. I think he's going to be a great shout this weekend. Villa against Newcastle. Newcastle were abysmal. The worst defence across the whole weekend in the Premier League for, for everything. XGC, shots conceded, whatever you want to look at. They, they were terrible. Um, and they've got actually... 
two defences back to back because they play Brentford's next time out. And actually, Brentford, when you dig a bit deeper into to the stats, they kept a clean sheet, but they could quite easily have conceded more. So I like Ings over a couple of weeks. I'm really sorry, Greg, but I also like DCL as well. So, you know, they, I think there were two really good options up front. DCL, all of a sudden, was the focal point for Everton's attacks. And I know he always has been, but it seems as though they are building everything around crossing the ball in to him. And, you know, Damari Gray was pinging crosses to, to Calvert-Lewin. And um, yeah, it looks like it could, it could be a really good option, especially because leads are a bit depleted at the moment. As you said at the back, Greg, maybe missing a couple. And they do look like they might be there for the taking in terms of conceding a few goals, albeit they are at home, aren't they, Leeds? So yeah, that yeah. might, that that might be, be that might be a massive factor because Ellen Road's first game back will be pretty yeah, lively it's going to be pumping I, I would also temper the excitement with Everton with a how bad Southampton are yeah. and b they are Everton who can't seem to have a string more than two, one or two results together at any one time so um I think they're a wait and see for me if if DCL again does well this weekend against the Leeds team who will press them I think that'll be a, a telling a telling way to see if it's worth investing in that team so who I really like for this week in Boimo at Brentford I think yeah. he will be absolutely brilliant over the course of the season. He was one that I was really scouting during pre-season. He'd been on all of my notes over pre-season, have included his name, all of my kind of tinkering around. But going into game week one, it just felt a little bit much to have both him and Tony in my team. I kind of got a bit scared of the Brentford double up. And I said on the official podcast last week, if you're brave, go with the pair of them. And, and I think he was really unlucky on Friday night not to return points, um, could easily have. And, you know, when you sort the fixture ticker on Scout by difficulty, Crystal Palace actually sit at the top this week because the game is against Brentford. I actually think that that is the reverse in reality. I think Brentford have got one of the easier games against Crystal Palace. Now, I know Palace will be at home this weekend. They have the benefit of home fans. But watching them against Chelsea, they were so at sea. They didn't look organised yet. I think Vieira will be a good manager for them in time. But they've got so many new players and a new manager. And it's a whole structural system change that they're trying to play with this season I think Brentford could go into that game with massive, massive confidence after what happened against Arsenal on Friday evening. And I suspect Mbwema will be up there in and amongst some points at the weekend. I agree. I also said the same thing at the start of the season that you could double up and go Mbwema and uh, Tony. I also think Canos is a great shout on the opposite side. We're talking about players as well that have brilliant seasons in the championship and have kind of carried that form through. Mm. Another one who came up from the championship I really like is Saar too. I thought he was great at the weekend for Watford. It's difficult though, isn't it? Because I think, you know, all of these players that we've just talked about, they're all in the same sort of price bracket. So they're all players that you're kind of competing with. Do you go Embremo? Do you go Saar? Do you, like, there are so many options in and around that price point that choosing the right one feels a bit of a challenge because so many of them could do well. But that's brilliant for us, isn't it? Because it's enabling so many premiums to be in our teams if you want to go with those cheaper ones. I think you put Townsend in that bracket as well. Five yeah. and a half million for Evan. I think, again, he's a wait and see. I know you're all getting excited about Evan, so I'll, I'll temper this. But um, I think he's also, when you chuck on a watch list, see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with you, actually. I think Everton's fixtures are really nice for the foreseeable. So investing in them cheaply as you can feels quite a nice way to go about it. Because 
avoiding Calvert-Lewin or Richarlison or even Luca Dean is hard when you want to be budgeting for Bruno and Salah and KDB and Sun and all of those people that we talked about earlier. Let's talk then about the all-important captain's armband because last week there wasn't really a conversation. Everyone was just going Salah or that's how it felt. It felt like the whole of the FPL community just gave the armband to Salah. Is it that straightforward this time around? A really difficult one. I mean, when we sat down at the start of the season and looked at our captaincy strategy for this season, we we looked back at what happened last year and, and tried to learn from it. And the FBL general, who was on our first ever podcast, he said, look, when you go into a new season, try and look at or try and pick the first five captains you want for those game weeks. So we set aside that and we did that. And I had Salah down as my captain from, from for game week two. But I didn't count on Bruno starting the season like he did and Man United playing like they did yesterday. Well, you didn't want him in your team either, I Greg. No, so. I didn't. I, I, no, I didn't. I didn't want him on my team. And I wasn't in the count. Look, thank, he is in both my own personal team and the experiment team in the end. So I, I, I went with reason rather than my, my gut. And thank God. But um, Salah just doesn't score against Burnley. Like, he hasn't scored in the last five games in the Premier League against I think he's only got one in the last seven games against them. That being said, at the weekend, Burnley against Brighton, they conceded 12 shots in the box, which was like the 19th worst in the league. Eight shots on target, three big chances. That's the sort of stuff as a captain and a, a seller owner, you think, like, I'm going to, and we're at home and mm. feel behind us. For me, I don't think I would look beyond Salah this week, but he's a very, very close call because Bruno loves scoring against Southampton. He's in the last five, he's got what, two goals and three assists against them. And obviously, they're coming off the back of that, a great performance against Leeds. So, just the fact that Liverpool play at 12 30 on Saturday and their opening fixture of the week put you off because for me, I've always had a rule that I never captain somebody in the first game of the game week because it's a very, very long game week when your captain's blanked in the opening fixture. Nick, really who's normally struggle. on the podcast, is exactly the same. Doesn't like the early Saturday fixture and having a captain in that fixture. I think this week's captain, I'm so conflicted because I've I've really delved into this because I knew that we would have this decision to make. So, and obviously I wanted to, you know, put the research in for your podcast. So, um, <laughs> so I looked at the stats for Salah and Fernandez just from this weekend, right? And there's like a swing more for Salah for shots in the box and Fernandez has got slightly better XG, but it's much of a muchness. I looked at Burnley and Southampton defensive stats. They're pretty close as well. There's much of a muchness there. It's not much of a difference. I think Southampton... Um, marginally worse, but not by a lot. The the one thing was the thing that Greg said that really has been playing on my mind. Salah's record against Burnley isn't very good. But at the same time, can you imagine what Anfield is going to be like having not had fans there for such a long time? Yeah. That place is going to be absolutely jumping. But then on the flip side, so I, I, this isn't just my thought process swinging one way, then the other. Then I'm thinking back to last season, United demolishing Southampton 9-0. Fernando scored in both games against Southampton last season. That's also on my mind. It's really I might hard just go for one. Danny Ings instead. I think <laughs> Danny Ings might be the way. Let's get Danny Ings in. It's really tough. It's really tough, this one, because I think they're both really good captaincy options. And that's why it's difficult. But actually, I think in the long run, because they're both really good captaincy options, it actually might not matter. Neither of them is going to be really, really highly captained because it's going to split quite evenly, I think, because people will look at that game against Burnley and think home game for Salah against Burnley, that's perfect. They're going to look at that game against Southampton for Bruno and go, that's perfect. There'll be some FPL managers that look at that game for Sun against Wolves and go, 
that looks quite nice too. I could, I could do that. And there'll be some that go rogue and think, oh, I might go Danny Ings or I might go, you know, there are other players with nice fixtures this time around too. But I'm really torn, really torn on the captaincy thing. I am really tempted to set and forget on Salah the whole season because mathematically that was a good thing to have done last year to not play around with the captaincy and just leave it on one player all season. But... I don't think I'll be able to do that in a few game weeks time when both Liverpool and Manchester United have difficult fixtures. I know I'm going to want to move it. So I don't know. I think I'm going to see, see how I feel, sleep on it, see which one of them kind of speaks to me most over the next few days. But yeah, I'm hoping that I have some kind of either Fernandez or Salah dream. And I think that's might be the way to, to split it. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm hoping for too. I just think I'll end up the home advantage and the fans and stands thing, I think will push me. It'll push me to Salah, I think. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. I think that that's 1230 it. fixture is really playing on my mind now that you've said it though. So it put it really puts me off, Adam. Honestly, it really does because I hate it. If there's a Friday night game, I'll never captain someone in it because it's horrible when they blank. Because then what have you got the whole weekend when your game week feels like it's gone down in flames? Whereas when there's a Monday night fixture, I love captaining someone on a Monday night because there's that optimism that goes across the whole weekend that's I've still got my captain to play. And Saturday, 12.30, but it's at home. First game in Anfield with the fans. They're going to be so up for it, aren't they? I'll end up with Salah, I know I will. You can just make such a valid argument for both. You'll end up just tying yourself in knots and getting yourself stressed and then picking things as captains to make it easier. So... (laughs) I, as, as Adam said, I think it, it can literally come down to the toss of a coin and you wouldn't, I don't think you'd be disappointed either way. I think I'm on Fernandez. Sorry, <laughs> I've just sorted through. I've just sorted through and I think I'm thinking I want to go for Fernandez. Going to be on Nick then on our podcast because I'm going to say um, Salah. Oh, oh, the vote's coming. The vote is coming. Nick has got the deciding votes. We'll have to tune in to the FPL Experiment podcast this week to find out who the boys are actually going to captain and who Nick is going to vote for, because it seems like he has got the deciding vote. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on this week's Scout the Game Week. That's it for this week. I will be back next week to see who was the right captaincy option for Game Week 2 and to look ahead to Game Week 3.